Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat with hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, their knowledge, and their joy of podcasting. Once this live stream is over, I'm going to go ahead and take these recorded files because we're podcasters and we record everything, and I'm going to turn it into a podcast as requested by the Better Podcasting community. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better, thus better podcasting. I had hoped by today, which is August 30th, 2022, that NASA and its Artemis partners would have an uncrewed Orion capsule on the way to the moon, but alas, a malfunctioning liquid hydrogen engine coolant system malfunctioning valve and bad weather kept the biggest rocket this planet has ever seen for now on the ground. <sighs> we'll see if the next attempt during the next week will actually work. Also, for those that are listening to me week to week, my mom recovered from COVID this past week. She tested negative, so hoorah there. I'm having a blast podcasting on She-Hulk over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. If you want to ask me about that, go ahead. I'd love to talk about it. And I heard all about this little itty-bitty conference called Podcast Movement from a few people that I know that went there. And based upon my experience from attending last year and everything that I heard about this year, I didn't miss anything directed at hobby podcasters, including one announcement that we'll be chatting about later. But first, in case you are new to Better Podcasting Chats with SP, I want to tell you that if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I am interested in chatting with you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting journey and your podcasting experience, please send me an email to stargatepioneer at gunnageek.com or send me a private message on Twitter or Discord and we'll arrange a date to have you on. Now, today, I'm fortunate enough to chat with an honest-to-goodness hobby podcaster that is also a YouTube celebrity from the Podcastage YouTube channel <laughs> and has paved the way for increasing Sure SM7B sales over the last seven years by 187,314%. I might have just made that last part up, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that it's true. He also hosts and produces the Bandrew Says Weekly podcast and has a variety of outside interests like watches, playing guitar, and looking for an affordable home to purchase. And in true Top Gear fashion, someone once called him a milquetoast, boring content creator. Welcome to the chat, Bandrew. What an incredible intro. I agree with most of that, except for whatever it was positive you said about me being some kind of YouTuber. YouTube celebrity. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I refute that claim, <laughs> but thank you very much. <laughs> I know sailing YouTube channels that have less of a viewership than you that call themselves celebrities and influencers. So you're it, man. Oh, please. No. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be on the show with the great Stargate Pioneer. I have missed your voice in podcasting and happy to see you back at it again recording shows and putting out amazing information. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And as long as we're still doing things, I want to thank you very much. I had a last minute move that I had to do with my son about a month ago. You were slated for that week that I had to take, or one of the two weeks that I had to take <laughs> off. 
So you graciously agreed to switch your date for recording to today. I know not everybody does that. So thank you very much for switching your date. I appreciate it. Well, frankly, I like seeing you suffer and I understand how much suffering is accompanied with moving. So it was my pleasure, truly. Third floor, third floor. (laughs) All right, let's talk about podcasting now. What inspired you to start podcasting? Not your YouTube channel, we'll get to that later, but podcasting. Yeah, so the current run of podcasting, initially I started with a couple of friends and we just talked about movies and stuff. It wasn't anything interesting. It was just, hey, I heard podcasting. This is so exciting. Anybody can do it. I'm going to start. Then I realized, oh, this is a lot of work, which is something you preach, which is something every podcaster preaches. It's not easy. It's a lot of work. So we only did about six episodes in six months. And then fast forward a couple of years, I gave up drinking and all of my friends continued drinking That was their social life. No problem with that. But I needed an outlet. So I just started a podcast because I wasn't going to pay for therapy. And I just screamed into a microphone, I think, two or three times a week. So I got to 50. I think I hit 100 episodes within six months. It was was not good content, but it was a therapy session for me. So that is why I started the initial run of podcasting. And then I switched over to the Bandrew Says podcast because I wanted to start over without all of the baggage of me screaming into a microphone while I relearn how to be a person when I don't drink because it took a lot of relearning what a normal person, I guess I shouldn't classify myself as a normal person, but (laughs) because I still am a crazy lunatic. But yeah, it took me a while to do that. So I wanted to start a new podcast. Terrible at naming podcasts. So I started just named it the Bandrew Says Podcast, just to talk about what I was interested in. I want to step back a second. You used your first podcast as therapy, and I know a lot of people do that, and maybe we don't talk about that as much as we should. So from your experience, if you don't mind sharing, do you think that helped, and do you think that would help other people, and what should they be worried about when they do that? That is a great topic. So first, I absolutely think it can be helpful. I don't necessarily think it was helpful for me to be publishing that. The aspect that I think was beneficial for me was having that creative outlet. I was able to replace that entire portion of my life or try to replace that portion of my life that I couldn't be a part of anymore with something positive as opposed to just moping around in a room with nobody around me. So I think that was the positive aspect. It could have been a show about anything, but I was just working through stuff and I didn't think about what I was actually doing. It was just, I need something to do to fill my time. And I am also going through stuff. That's what I know. I'm going to talk about it. But as far as what to be concerned with, I probably disclosed way too much about myself. And if I were to be doing it again, I would just be recording that screaming into a microphone and never releasing it because I would still be getting all of the benefit of it, of working through stuff, trying to vocalize what I was going through. But I wouldn't be putting myself at risk of some kind of, I don't know, OSINT issue, open source intelligent issue. So I wouldn't do that again. 
but it was beneficial. What I would recommend is maybe don't disclose all of your personal issues to the world as a whole. And instead of doing that, just focus on something else that you're interested in on the podcast, because just having that activity and having that creative outlet can be that benefit that you need in your life. So that's what I learned from doing that. And that's why I rebranded just started (laughs) over because I put out way too much and said probably way too much. (laughs) So if I remember correctly, you had a podcast with your friends, you had the therapy podcast and Bandrew says is your third podcast. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Bandrew says has been around for, I want to say seven years, seven, eight years now. Oh my gosh. I think you're right. Because there was the first eight episodes, and I believe those were recorded in 2015. Same year the better podcasting started, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how have you improved your podcasting over those past seven years? I think some people would say I haven't, (laughs) but (laughs) I try to be a lot more prepared. When I initially started I was still under this impression of, I'm Joe Rogan. I knew I wasn't. I'm some famous radio broadcaster. I see them not do any preparation. They sit down and just start recording. Took me a while to realize I am not them. I don't have 20 or 30 years under my belt of experience. So I need to put in that additional work. So I'll spend four hours maybe per week, working on an outline, finding what I want to talk about, working through the points that I want to cover on each story or on each topic. So as far as preparation, I think that's the biggest improvement. I also wasn't thrilled with how I presented myself, my speaking ability on microphone, or how much editing I had to do. And I only release one episode per week, and that didn't seem like sufficient practice for me. So what I did was for a year and a half, maybe two years, I would record every single day or try to record every single day for 10 to 15 minutes. I would take notes every single day. Here's what happened today. Here's something that I thought of. And I would record 10 to 15 minutes. That gave me 365, maybe 400 practice runs for podcasting to improve how I speak on microphone because I wasn't happy with how I was speaking on microphone, why not try to improve faster than I would be able to if I just released one episode per week? I got, what would that be? Almost 10 years of practice within one and a half years. I think those are the two biggest things, actually preparing and practicing to improve the issues that I had. I don't advocate this, but I did start out podcasting and then I quickly went up to like seven podcasts a week. (laughs) I do not advocate that. Matter of fact, one of the golden rules, one of the 15 golden rules of hobby podcasting that we did on Better Podcasting episode 50 is if you are hobby podcasting, do no more than two shows a week. I will argue it's probably closer to one now, especially if you're doing everything yourself, but I'll allow two for variety's sake. And that doesn't mean two whole podcasts like that's all you get it's in any given week you can only devote time to two of your projects and you having a youtube channel that would be a part of it as well i would think so i had that same experience 
that you did, by the way, with doing those seven podcasts a week, sometimes two a night, but you know, averaging one a night basically for a week. And I had a family situation that allowed it, and I had podcast partners that allowed it. But it did allow me to practice speaking on microphone. I had a lot of practice at work, by the way, talking because that was part of my job is I would go out and I would have to brief different things to different people. And it was just part of what I do for work. And I had that experience, but I had never listened to myself and I had never edited myself. That's the biggest thing. Editing yourself. Once you start editing yourself, like, oh my gosh, all the crutch words that I use, all the ums, all of the stutters, they're all there. And even now today, when I'm listening to somebody else at work brief and I'm looking at them and I am hearing every single one of their audio imperfections (laughs) and some are so, so intelligent and I know they have great things to say and I really admire their mind, but they cannot talk. It's not like they're (laughs) introverts, like they don't want to talk in front of people. They literally cannot actually get a coherent sentence out. And it is, oh my gosh, I can help you. Come talk to me. (laughs) I will train you. We we can work through this. But alas, at least I did it for myself. So I completely understand where you're at. And I do remember you saying that a few years ago that you talked every day. Uh, Some of it was to test microphones and techniques and something like that. But I do remember you talking a lot about your speech and everything. So yeah, I would advocate that just get on a recorder and just record yourself and then critique yourself late. Yeah. I think 10 to 15 minutes is probably all you are going to get in in order to do that every day. Because if you do an hour or two, you're never going to be able to listen to that back. Yeah. And you'll never want to do it. Setting a limit of 10 to 15 minutes makes it so undaunting that you're going to be willing Isn't there a podcast on your network called Undaunting or something? Undaunting, yeah. (laughs) It's so undaunting with a 10 to 15 minute show that that you're going to be willing to, ah, I'm I'm getting ready to go to bed. I can record 10 minutes. And if it's five minutes, who cares? As long as you get it out or if you miss a day, no big deal. The purpose isn't to do it every single day. The purpose is to improve. So as long as you are focusing on it, and trying to improve whenever possible. Absolutely. Yeah, it, just grab a couple of minutes before bed, like while you're brushing your teeth. Wait, no, don't do that. <laughs> I do have a follow-up question. What has been your, the most difficult crutch word to overcome for you? Easy, easy. So, I say so way, way too much. <laughs> and some of that is because of my academic background, and you can get the same sort of thing If you go to any sort of MIT symposium, it's the way they teach how to brief there. If you are learning to overcome your crutch words, they teach you to say so. Really? Yeah. And then keep on going. And I inadvertently caught on to that. And I have been saying so way too much. I tell my podcast partners and my co-hosts on my shows, if I say so, go ahead and tell me or send me a, a message or whatever and tell me stop doing it. I still do it to this day, and I'm still trying to train myself not to do it. I will take that out of the audio edit wherever possible. First of all, because I hate my siblings on my asses. I oh. hate it. <laughs> and then second of all, the so gets so... Ign- it's just, ugh, it's, 
just (laughs) so grating because I hear it like five times in like two minutes. So yes, that is mine. I have the exact same one. And the way that I try to trick myself to justify it is, oh, well, I'm creating this string of events. This happens. So this happens. So this happens. And that's how I get out of it. But I also have that exact same crutch word. My way to try to remember not to do it when I'm actively trying not to say it is when I start to say it, stop. And then just say the next word I was going to say anyway. That's Mm. how it's supposed to be. That's how, if I'm writing, that's how it's going to sound or that's how it's going to read. And when I'm listening to somebody else, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear a 10 minute soliloquy of uh, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. So this happened. So this happened. So this, I don't want to hear that. I think we've beaten (laughs) horse to death there. So what is one thing you could have told yourself in 2015 to make it easier to start podcasting? That's a difficult question. The thing that has made podcasting the easiest is spending time preparing because one of the most obnoxious or difficult or taxing aspects of podcasting is all of the time editing, doing the post-production, and that can take a lot of the fun out of it. But by preparing, you go in much more prepared. That's the entire purpose of preparing an outline. And that means when you are podcasting, you aren't going to stumble around, screw up as much, which will ultimately lead to much less editing and you can get the show out the door a bit quicker. So I would say you're not a super talented radio host or podcaster. So spend 15 minutes minimum preparing. Spend a couple hours. Why not? I would agree with that. I would agree with that a lot. The better. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. recordings that I've had, I have spent a lot of time preparing for. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, let's talk about issues in your wheelhouse. And let's start with the most current one. YouTube podcast, finally, right? Yeah, podcasting is saved. Discoverability is here. All the little guys are going to become famous, rich, millionaire podcasters because YouTube got in the game. <laughs> I was like going through all the announcements. I'm like, okay, I'm out walking the dog when I'm hearing all this stuff. So I come back to my computer right here and I type in youtube.com slash podcast. Like, how is this different than a normal news feed would look? Because you have... You pointed out on your Andrew Says podcast, you had the NBC stuff. You have the podcasts that get a ton of downloads. Now, I did notice if you scroll down in the categories, you get one or two that are more hobbyists, whatever. Mm. But you have to really look for that. And if you're looking for shows to consume, your eye is just going to go to the stuff that you already know, the brands that you already see. Especially when the viewership counts on the other ones are so low. You're like, why is this even here? Why is the YouTube algorithm shoving this at me? I don't want to see this. I'm not very hopeful. Matter of fact, I see this kind of doing the same way that uh, Facebook podcast did. And I don't know if it's going to even take that long. How long did Facebook podcasts last? Don't remember exactly, but I want to say a year. 
Okay. Yeah, I can imagine that being about how long this lasts or it just goes and becomes a forgotten page on YouTube because I don't know a single person who says, I'm going to go to youtube.com slash anything. They just go to YouTube. They have all the recommendations or if they are a YouTube power user, they will click on their subscription feed. I don't know anybody who will go to YouTube gaming or I don't know any other ones. <laughs> There's only one that I can think of, and I don't know anybody who uses that one. There's just nothing of interest there for most people. Because you can get all of that content on your homepage, on your recommendations. I can understand why us as podcasters want to be on YouTube. And it's one simple thing, three letters, SEO. They think that, and I think there's some justification to it. That because it is owned by Google and there is great discoverability within the Google algorithm, if you're searching, but you have to have certain things. You have to have a lot of hits. You have to have relevant content. You have to have good produced content. And it's a lot of work actually to start to get noticed, to get into that algorithm. Now, once you get into that algorithm, you can grow an audience. I think a YouTube audience is different than a podcasting audience, and I think it's different in two ways. First of all, when you subscribe, you don't necessarily download all the content. You just click subscribe on an account, and it might not necessarily be an account that you use. You could have 25 Google accounts, and you could be subscribed to different things on different portions of your YouTube accounts, and you never see them in the, on your main account. And the other thing is your viewership numbers, I don't know what the stat is on that. I don't know how they account for that. At least in podcasting, there's a standard with the IAB now. Everybody understands. Half second download, I think up to uh, 15 seconds or something like that, that you okay. need to stream in order for it to count as a download. Okay. Totally understand that. But with YouTube, I don't. So it's a different beast between the two. You do both. You have your YouTube channel podcastage, which is not a podcast. And you have your Bandrew Says podcast, which is also a YouTube channel. Same thing that we do here on Better Podcasting. What are the differences that you see between the two? There is a huge difference, specifically within the views. You hit the nail right on the head. The consumption habits are so incredibly different. On podcastage, it is almost always dependent on the piece of equipment that I'm covering. On the Bandrew Says podcast channel, it is still on YouTube, but the views are much more consistent. It will stay within a band on the podcast channel. I typically won't have any breakout hits. I won't have any that completely hit the floor and get zero views. So it's much more consistent. Even though it is a YouTube video, people still consume it as though it was a podcast. My download numbers for the actual RSS feed, the audio podcast, are, I wish I could get that kind of consistency on any YouTube channel, <laughs> commensurate with my subscriber count, but that's just not the case. So that's one thing to remember. Like you said, you automatically download the audio podcast, so you may have 600 subscribers, you're going to get about 600 downloads per episode. With a YouTube channel, you may have 10,000 subscribers, but you might end up with 1,500 views on one video, 500 on another, 50,000 on another. 
there's a lot more variance there because people do consume YouTube differently. But I think there is a lot of value in uploading to YouTube as a whole because of the discoverability, but also because of the comment section, the community. There's probably some best practices in there, like tagging appropriately, doing the chapter marks. What other best practices would you say for a podcast to publish to YouTube? What should they do? There is one thing that drives me crazier than anything. A YouTube podcast that thinks it has a captive audience. I have seen so many video podcasts who have a five, six, seven minute intro with three ads. Go download my audiobook. Go do this. Go do that. And there's seven minutes of video, of wasted video, before they get into any of the actual content. The reason they do this, they think they are Joe Rogan. I hate to break it to you. I had to break it to myself too. I am not Joe Rogan. You are not Joe Rogan. Unless you are Joe Rogan watching this, by the way. Hi. Great work. Hi, Joe. Really big audience. Congratulations on the success. (laughs) But if you're not Joe, you are not Joe Rogan. You don't have that, how should I phrase that, that je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> you haven't built up that trust with your audience to justify having them wait seven minutes for content, especially not on YouTube. YouTube viewers will dip out in 15 seconds if they don't like what they're seeing. That's why I start my shows with, hey, this is what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. And for the YouTube video, I cut out my introduction music. I cut out the vast majority of the intro. I have about a minute-long intro, maybe minute and a half. For the audio version, I cut that down to 15 seconds. 10, 15 seconds, then I get right into the content. So you need to adjust for the platform you're on. It's not a big adjustment. Just edit it slightly differently for the video. I know. I struggle with that all the time. I'm I'm not listening to the advice, basically, because I do put a visual intro in now. It's not just the audio. It's visual where I have moving graphics and everything. I think there's some legitimacy to that. But at the same time, yeah. the big networks, the streaming shows, they've all tried to go on to a shorter, shorter, shorter intro. I love the, long, the one minute long intros that we used to get in the 80s and 90s. I love them. So that's what I do because I like it. I'm a hobby yeah. podcaster and that's what I decide to do. However, I also know that the standardization is people will, it's a new, whole new generation. I was thinking about that. I have aged out of being able to think like a millennial or a a Gen Y or Gen Zer, I can't think like that anymore. I think more like the World War II generation. You know, the (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the generation that I'm way on the tail end of that. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, right? And like, (sighs) I need to adapt a little bit better. I will admit that, but I like doing it. I like having that intro. Besides, it's my daughter that's doing the intro. So. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it may not appeal to a wide, as wide of an audience as it could, unfortunately. And I'm in the exact same boat as you. I need to adapt more as well. What I need to learn how to do is 
adopt this entire shorts mentality. I have been taking notes. I have been watching shorts saying, what the heck makes a good short? Unfortunately, YouTube just keeps feeding me the same heckin' shorts, <laughs> the same <laughs> stuff over and over again so I can't learn. But I'm trying to figure out what makes a good short. Because that seems to be the current craze. I don't want to go all in and I don't want to just bombard people with, oh, here's a minute from the show you already listened to, so how do I create something that will potentially have reach to new audience members, but also has value to people who already watch or listen to the show? I'm just completely at a loss, out of my realm. I don't know if those shorts translate into subscribers. I don't know if they're running an algorithm like TikTok or it's more like Instagram or it's more like YouTube proper where they'll suggest it to you. You'll watch it, but you won't subscribe to it and you'll never see it again unless you can find it. And I don't even know. You look for their channel, I guess, and it go into their shorts or something. I don't know. My so I watch a lot of sailing YouTube channels. This is public knowledge. <laughs> I could tell you what makes a good short for them. Girls in bikinis, because that's all they show. Right. And I'm right. I'm over that, too, by the way. It's like, uh, all right, I'm in it for the adventure and for the boats and for, OK, how do you manage to sail across the ocean in this 40 foot boat? Right. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in the sexualization of the whole thing, which. Yeah. Okay, there is that aspect to it, but yeah, uh, that's what I've gathered so far in the meager shorts that I have watched, because I have not gone out of my way to see, okay, what is, what, what is podcastage doing for shorts? Obviously nothing, because you're still learning, but I haven't gone out of yeah. my way for any of that yet. Talking about microphones, you review a lot of microphones. I'm not going to ask you to go into any of them, but what I'm going to ask you is how would somebody go about finding the best podcasting microphone for them? It's going to take a bit of research and it's going to take a little bit of trial and error. The research portion is going to be if you're researching my, if you're looking for a microphone, Find as many reviews, as many different reviews from different people as you can and try to, un I guess there's a, a point before this, find out what shows you like the sound of and then determine what microphone they use. That's probably the place that you should start. Then go ahead and find as many reviews as you can on that microphone and find the reviewer or demoer that has a voice as similar to you as you can. That way you can hear the microphone on a voice. It's still going to differ, but it will be a better analog for your voice. Find somebody who sounds like you. Do you still like it if they compare it to other microphones? Is there one that you like better? And then here comes the scary part. You're going to have to find the one you like and then buy it and try it. And you may end up hating it. So try buying from Amazon or, or some place that has a very good return policy. Maybe try renting a microphone. I've never done that, but you could always do that to try a microphone out for a couple of days. See if you like it. You could go to Guitar Center because they have microphones set. Or I know they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they have 15, 20 microphones set up that you can listen to on your headphones and 
see which one you like the sound of. So find the, I just said so. (laughs) (laughs) What are you sewing, Bandrew? You got a quilt there? (laughs) Quick, Quick side note. I always used to say, okay, so, and the singer in my band would say, why are you talking about cheese? <laughs> Queso. <laughs> Queso. <laughs> I think the proper steps would be find a show that you like the sound of, then find out what kind of microphones they use, find a reviewer or a bunch of demos on people who have voices similar to yours, and then you're going to have to take a leap into the deep end and pick it up and see if you actually like how it sounds on your voice. Great, great advice. I did that myself. The first big boy microphone that I bought was a Shure SM7B. And we've talked about this before. I didn't like it on my voice. My voice is a quiet voice. The Shure SM7B requires a lot of gain. And at that time, I didn't have that great of a preamp. So the Shure SM7B sounded staticky, sounded rumbly because I was having to boost it past what my preamp could do. So it just wasn't going to be a good fit for me. Plus, it's more of a neutral sound, which works great on a voice like yours. Unfortunately, in a voice like mine, it sounded like I was mumbling the entire time. (laughs) So I had to go with something that was a little bit more like, as Red Scott called it last week, a chainsaw, an audio chainsaw with the (laughs) Electro Voice (laughs) RE320. And yeah, I'll admit it. It's a chainsaw and it works great for my voice. And I liked it. Red also pointed out that it was more of the FM radio sound. Stevens pointed that out to me in the past. It just works better on my voice. Whenever I've tried a flatter microphone, like an Audio-Technica BP40, which I have right up there, the Rode Procaster, it's a little bit more deep voice for me and and really accentuates that. So if I ever want to sound like I'm really boomy, I'll get that (laughs) sucker out, right? But if I'm trying to be understood, I go with this mic, the Electro-Voice RE320. Yes, I did that exact thing. I got the Shure SM7B. It didn't work for me. It was a $400 mistake. And then I got the Electro Voice RE320. And it's been on my microphone pole ever since, except for when I'm doing a mic test. We kind of are similar that way. You do it a lot more than I do because it's part of your YouTube channel. But you you will try out another microphone and then you will say how you like it and how you don't. I do a head-to-head at the end and record both at the same time and see what I like. So far, the RE320 has been the winner, but I haven't done it in a while. So I'm excited to next year start to get back on that horse and start to get more microphones. But great advice, I would think, because I would tell people about the same thing. So my advice is good. Excellent. Great <laughs> advice, SP. That's why I come to you. <laughs> so let's take, it, let's take it to the next level, right? What? advice would you have for people that are choosing either an audio interface or a mixer recorder, that sort of thing, because they have to plug the microphone into something. And generally we're talking about non-USB microphones, although to start out, USB microphones are fine, but you make that jump up, you want to get a little bit more professional, you go to that. So you've done a few reviews there. So how would you recommend to somebody that they choose that to start with? I think the important thing to note here is once you hit around $150 Focusrite, Motu, SSL, all of the preamps in those, all of the A to D converters and D to A converters, they're all pretty comparable. 
it's going to be rare that you come across one that's absolute garbage, that can't drive a microphone, that's hissy, that's just terrible sounding. So ultimately what it comes down to is the feature set. And you need to be honest with yourself. What kind of features do you need? I understand. You see the Rodecaster Pro 2. Oh my gosh, so many lights, so many buttons, so many inputs and outputs. You could do this, that. Do you really need it? Do you really need it? Maybe you just do a solo podcast by yourself in your bedroom. You don't have any guests on and you just have one microphone. If that's the case, you don't need something like the Rodecaster Pro 2. You could probably go with something like the Focusrite 2i2, the Solid State Logic SSL2+, the Mo2 M2, the Audient ID4 14. So it's really coming down to the feature set of the interface. What has the tone switch that you like? Because that's the new thing that a lot of them are doing. They're adding a 4K switch or a vintage switch with a compression button. That's the universal audio volt. So if that is what you are looking for, if you want the different tones, go with one of those. If you want the additional USB port, the Audient, not the Audient, the Arteria interfaces have a USB pass-through. So you could have your key for all of your what are they called? The iLock system, in case you need that. Then you get to processing. Maybe you need real-time processing, maybe you don't. That's something else that you need to be honest with yourself about. If you're just going to be recording, and then you're able to process it in a DAW, should you really be investing that extra money in an interface that does the processing in real-time? Maybe you want that. Maybe you want all the processing baked in. If that's what you want to do, more power to you. You could go with something like the Elgato Wave XLR, I think. The Wave XLR. There's the Presonus one that came out. I haven't used that one. So all of that to come back and say, it comes down to what features you actually need and you need to be honest with yourself because it's easy to get gear acquisition syndrome and say, I want the latest, greatest, newest, most feature-packed. But do you really need it? Yeah, I've come to terms with what I need and what I don't need. When the Roadcaster Pro 2 came out, I was like, that's what I need. But I was also replacing about $1,000 worth of gear. So yeah. it worked out for me. I actually made out in the process, because if I had to actually rebuy everything, it would have been more. The other thing that I will add on in there is that I know you record straight to DAW, but I would advocate getting something that would also record locally. Okay. So like the Rodecaster Pro 2, the Zoom PodTrack B4 are two examples of that. I wish more did. Like, uh, who, came, who just came out with a Vocaster? Was that Focusrite? Uh, Focusrite. Yeah, Focusrite Vocaster. I don't have anything wrong with that. I mean, it's great preamps and everything. The one thing that I questioned about is why come out with something like that today that doesn't have a recorder in it? SD cards are cheap. The recording software is relatively cheap. I don't know why you would come out with new gear without the ability to record multi-track. It's so easy to do. Let's go ahead and start doing that. Other than maybe, and this is showing my age again, but maybe the computers and the connections are getting to the point where they're just not going to fail as much as they used to, and you're not going to lose that many recordings. 
Until I'm proven on that, I would say a consideration is to have a recorder, mixer, whatever, audio interface, so that you can have that at least as a backup. I mean, if you want to take your recording to the DAW as a prime, I have no problem with that, but at least have a backup. I prefer my audio recording from my devices. Mm. It's just what I do, but I know a lot of people don't. Yeah, I think that's great advice because it's based on your experience with losing recordings. And that can be a real kick in the pants if you lose a recording and you spent hours or you got that amazing guest. And if you are at the point where you are bringing on guests, I think that's a really great consideration that I don't think about enough because I don't have guests on my show. So it never really crosses my mind. But if you have this amazing get, Let's say you're talking to some huge TV star for a show about a television show. You wouldn't want to spend time with them recording that show and then, hey, sorry, I, uh, I lost that recording. <laughs> Can we reschedule? <laughs> so I think that's a great point that you bring up that I, and this is why I think it's so valuable to get multiple opinions when you're researching gear as well. Because SP, brings up points that I very rarely consider. Funny enough, that literally just happened to us. On Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we interviewed the creators for the X-Men 92 series, X-Men animated series. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a Marvel-based podcast, and we've been doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all the Marvel movies along the way. Now we're podcasting on the Disney Plus shows. Well, one of the Disney Plus shows that's coming up is X-Men. They're continuing the story that was told in the 90s. They're calling it X-Men 97. Well, the original creators, the producer and one of the writers of the show, they're married, and we got them for an interview, and we were interviewing them, and it was great. We loved it, had a great time. They enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. And then afterwards, we got them offline, and one of my co-hosts, Chris, comes to me and says, SP, I don't have my dog recording. I'm like, okay. I mean, we have enough backups that I could make it work, but I was like, okay. Do you have any backups? He said, yep, I've got it on my pod track before. I was like, sweet. Let's go. It wasn't going to be that detrimental because I had captured him on my stuff, but it's always good to have the, the because of the differing levels on a call, it's always good to have a backup from the source as possible. So that literally just happened to us. And I was so grateful to have that backup. I have another question for you. What advice would you give to other hobby or passion podcasters? What tips or tricks do you have in your sleeve for them? Tips or tricks? I don't really have any tricks because I just, I just do it down and dirty and quick. And it's not my podcast production is not a pretty thing. It's not a good looking thing. It's record multiple angles, record the audio, process the audio, export it without editing, dump it in my video software, sync up all the files, edit it, export wave, then dump it in my DAW again, convert it to M4A. My tip though would be make sure this is something that I always say. I think I said this last time we talked. Make sure that you're passionate about what you're starting a show about, because that will get you through the hard parts when nobody's listening, and that may go on for years. 
Maybe it will go on the entire time. So if you're starting a hobby podcast with the expectation of becoming huge and famous and rich and millionaires, maybe it'll become true because YouTube just got into podcasting. But <laughs> but assuming that something goes horribly awry and we don't get those big million dollar checks, I think it's important to keep your expectations in check and do it for the love of it. Do it because there's something that you need to talk about, that you really need to get off your chest and just want to share with the world. And if people find it, awesome. If they don't, you still had fun making it, had fun talking about it, had fun producing it and putting it up. So that is the advice that I always end up giving. Make sure you're passionate about what you're starting a podcast about. And that extends to pretty much everything that you do as a hobby. Yeah. I wouldn't spend $150,000 on a fishing boat unless I really enjoyed it. <laughs> By the way, I don't have a $150,000 fishing boat. But what did you spend cool. that $150,000 I gave to you for a fishing boat? A Roadcaster Pro 2. <sighs> <laughs> you did not give me $150,000. <laughs> Talking about industries, do you have any gripes or concerns with the podcasting industry? We'll stay away from YouTube on this one. I really try to steer clear a lot of the drama surrounding podcasting. I don't have any huge gripes. There's nothing that sticks out to me because there seems to be alternatives. I guess the one gripe, something just came to mind. The compartmentalization of podcasts, I suppose. What I mean by that is not having a bunch of options, but the siloing would be better, where Spotify will buy up podcasts you can only get them on the one podcatcher. You can only get them in Spotify. Kind of goes against the entire idea of podcasting to me. And that's one thing that bothers me. But other than that, there's nothing that I can think of. I think the common term that I've heard for that is the paid walled gardens. Yeah. Yeah, that would be something that I'm not too keen on. But there's People were mad about the Apple podcast directory and Apple saying, we're going to kick you out unless you do this, this, this. We now have podcastindex.org, which is an alternative. So you're starting to see alternatives pop up that don't have to follow one corporation's rules, which is nice to have those alternatives. Yeah. And I'm seeing more stats like you quoted some stats on your last episode of Andrew says about the percentage of podcasts that are out there on Spotify and YouTube. It was like 52% between the two or something like that. Yeah. The, the podcast consumption was about 50, about half of it is between Spotify and YouTube. That's according to Westwood one, right? Yes. Westwood. I think it was cumulus media research that did it. Okay. So there are differing ideas of consumption and what stuff finds a podcast and what are the stats for that all. I won't get into that, but at least one reputable source says 52% Spotify and YouTube. So if you're not on Spotify and YouTube, as you said, in your show, you're dropping off a big chunk of audience. Now, I don't know if it's 52% or not, but I would agree that it is a big chunk of audience if you elect with reasons. And you said that in your show too, you might have a reason not to, but if you do, you're electing to 
forego that possible 52% of consumption right there. All right, let's get into a little bit more joyous question. What's one favorite moment for your show and why is it the conspiracy corner? <laughs> so my favorite thing, I just said so. So my favorite thing on my show is the conspiracy corner. I had no guidance on this. And the reason why the conspiracy corner is my favorite part of the show, my personal favorite part of the show is because that is where I can really let my hair down. That is the one area of this studio that I am able to be my true self, to remove my skin suit and reveal my reptilian underbelly. <laughs> it's the one place. Nowhere else is that acceptable. Nowhere else will people accept me for who I truly am. Everywhere else, people will look down on you. Oh, reptilian elite. Oh, ruling the world. What are you doing? How dare you? But in the conspiracy corner, people just think it's a bit. It's beautiful. I get to finally be myself. <laughs> and for those listening that listened to the uh, read the uh, promo for this episode, there's your alien talk. No, but what is some of your favorite moments from your podcast? <laughs> I think my favorite moments all stem from the Ask Bandrew segment because I am able to get voice submissions from people who listen to the show who want input who want advice and that's the most enjoyable part for me because it removes that barrier removes that wall i'm no longer just screaming at a little black lens right there into a microphone in a room by myself i'm actually having a conversation with people so every time that i get to do an ask bandrew question where somebody sends in a voice or video submission it's one of my favorite things that i get to do because I actually get to interact with a human as opposed to text on a screen. And not everybody has the capability of your audience because you are talking to a techie audience that has microphones, audio interfaces, recording devices, that sort of thing. I would extend that to the general poppy podcasters and say, if you can get feedback from your yeah. audience, that for me on all of my shows has been my favorite thing. Because I'm not podcasting just to shot my voice out into the void. I'm podcasting for community because I'm not getting paid for it. I'm, I'm paying exactly. to podcast, paying a lot of money to podcast, but I'd be paying a lot of money to do other hobbies, whatever they are. Right. So I think those interactions are priceless and I really enjoy them. So I would agree with that, whether that's a conversation on discord, whether that's a Twitter, whether that's a voicemail that I get. And just somebody calling in, not somebody that's recording on their microphone or something like that. Whatever it is, whether an email, I don't care. I love those. And I think that's, I would agree. That's probably my favorite part of podcasting. And the fact that, you know, when we're doing better podcasting, I get to see Steven every week. So that's pretty cool. And the million dollar checks. Yeah. That <laughs> made from Monopoly money. <laughs> uh, well, I usually ask this question to trip people up because I'm wondering if they're listening to the show or watching the show. What's your favorite Better Podcasting Chats with SP episode so far? That has to be the one with Red Scott. <laughs> it has to be the one with Red Scott because I love Red Scott. It's kind of funny. The show notes I title for, I do a Google Doc for every episode 
and I say the one with. So I do have my show notes that says the one with Red Scott. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> is that your callback to Friends? Yes. Yes. Okay, it actually good. is. I watched. Did you watch the Friends twenty fifth uh, reunion? No, I don't have any of the subscription services, so I didn't get to see it. Unfortunately, uh, it was. It was okay. I mean, if you watch Friends back in the day, it was something that, okay. And I guess there's a whole new generation of people that are watching it in reruns or streaming somewhere or whatever, so they got a, a kick out of it, too. I did buy the Blu-rays, and I rewatched it maybe a year and a half ago. I really enjoy I know it's not a highbrow, top-tier television or social commentary or anything, but... For the nostalgia, because I grew up watching it, it was a real trip for me. I really enjoy it. I didn't grow up watching it. I watched it as an adult. But uh, yeah, there was, the, you know, pivot, pivot. You know, yeah. Everybody knows. <laughs> when you say that, everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. But now in my brain, when I hear pivot, I think, ooh, Excel. <laughs> pivot tables, pivot tables. <laughs> if, if you deal with budgets, pivot tables <laughs> it's just a done deal you have to know how to do a pigeon uh, p- pigeon a uh, pivot table a pigeon table too whatever yeah. that is and whenever i hit pivot table i just scream pivot pivot <laughs> no wonder they don't like you back in the office <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right bandrew thank you for coming on is there anything else that you would like to say to the hobby podcast or your passion podcasting audience here have fun with it. That's the one thing that I think is most important about hobby podcasting or passion podcasting. Have fun with it. Don't be afraid to take breaks. That's something that I've struggled with. Just let your audience know why and how long and it's fine. But have fun with what you're doing because this is how you're choosing to spend your free time. We have limited time in this world. We have even less free time in this world. So if you are choosing to spend that time podcasting or anything in the media production realm, make sure you're having fun with it and enjoying it. We got some comments along the way, and I would, if you have a couple of minutes, I'd like to respond to them together. And the first one was from Liberty Dude. He was pointing out what microphone you're using right now. Yeah, I am on the Earthworks Ethos because it was just sitting on my isolation cab and i just thought let's throw that on the microphone stand and i was going to get real weird and run it through a tube pre but i had some routing issues so i wasn't able to get that done so we're running directly into the universal audio today all right and then he also pointed out that you as you were saying earlier in the show people come for the content but they stay because of the personality absolutely and that is something that is difficult if you do review channels on YouTube because people will come for the gear. They will come for the gear. You will still have a group of people who come for the personality, but you will see mass fluctuations in the viewership based on the equipment as opposed to the personality. But when it comes to podcasting, that is 100% personality almost all of the time. So when you get that audience, they will be there for the personality. I think he's exactly right. We got a couple of shout outs. Geopat's podcast with Steph said, hey, huge fan of both of you all. Hey, Steph. Hope you're doing well. Great to see you. She's been 
pumping out content. Mm. I don't know where in the world she is right now. Please forgive me, Steph, but you move around so much that it's hard to keep that straight in my mind, but it's good to hear you. We also had Obscure Tech say, hey, ooh, Bandy and SP. Bandy and SP indeed. Yes. And the Forgotten Times said, I wonder if YouTube has confused talk shows with podcasts. And this is a comment back to the YouTube podcasting thing. I think that's possible. I think that is possible. But a lot of the shows, if I'm not mistaken, do publish to RSS. It is just shows that originated on YouTube. So it lacks that inherent podcast audio first quality, that roughness, that edge that comes from audio podcasting. And it's all polished YouTube stuff. Well, I mean, not my show, but yeah. Your show's super polished, SP. I take a cloth and polish the screen every time. We had Bangs Naughty Bits come in and say YouTube is clippable and shareable. And to that, I will say I read a Tom Weber thread on Twitter, and he was one of the, I don't know, 30 things that he said there is in order to promote, you're going to have to go video, just get over it. So there Mm. is that aspect. Yeah, I don't know why that's the case. Maybe because when you're scrolling through a feed, it takes up more space and it actually captures your eye as opposed to just a little play button with a black screen with no image, no dynamics to it. Not sure why that is, but that's good to know. I used to do YouTube clips or just little shareables from the videos. They didn't get a ton of interaction, but you know, maybe I just didn't do it long enough. I did it for a few months. I did it well, actually about six months. And it was a lot of work too. So It is. And- Quick note on that, on the Bander Says podcast channel, I did that for six months maybe, and those seem to be some of the most popular videos on my channel, where it's a single topic that's four minutes, five minutes, as opposed to a 45-minute multi-topic video. But I think what I'm talking about here is something that's under a minute that you can share on all the social media platforms. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Steven... I don't know who this guy is. He Oh my god. Not say he is a ex-co-host of mine. Uh he is a current co-host. Don't worry. Better podcasting is returning. We were just talking about it in the last week. Anyway, he said I cannot deny or confirm that Better Podcasting shorts might feature SP in a bikini. Where's the OnlyFans link? I'm signing up right now. <laughs> yeah, no. No OnlyFans for me. <laughs> Jason Bryant, our favorite wrestling podcaster, says greetings from Leavenworth, Washington. Jason, it's great to see you again, too. Obscure Tech said Bandrew's spitting the truth, and that was earlier when you were talking about how to select a microphone and audio interface, so thank you very much. Hatui! Hatui! He also said that uh, dropping the recording literally happened to him. Famous football player, whole recording was bad, daw issue. And by football, Mm. I'm guessing he means the American term soccer. I'm guessing that's what he's saying. I'm not sure where obscure tech is from exactly. Yeah. Well, even like my son-in-law, he's a big soccer fan. His favorite team is Arsenal. So, Okay. We uh, have to plan family events around Arsenal games. Anyway, that is all of the comments that i was planning on responding to if you see something else we can bring it up but i think i'm done with that that looks good 
All right, Bandrew, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you for changing the date. Thank you for all your knowledge that you shared here. And thank you for everything that you do on PodcastAge and Bandrew Says. Well, thank you for having me, SP. Always a pleasure to chat. Let's try to not let it be this long in the future. Thanks for having me. Oh, definitely. And I do enjoy chatting on your Discord server whenever I can. It's a schedule thing for me. It's like whenever you guys are doing voice chat, I'm like, I got stuff I got to do. Or more importantly, because we're different time zones, I got to go to bed, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's a great place too. your Discord server. We have one on uh, for the better podcast, but you have one, too. What is where is the best place to find you? The best place to find me is bandrewscott.com. From there, I have links to everything that I work on, all my YouTube channels, all of my podcast. You can find links to all of it. There's links to Discord, socials, all of that. BandrewScott.com. BandrewScott.com. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you. I'm talking to you, audience, right now. Thank you for spending your time with Bandrew and myself. If you like content like this, please subscribe to this YouTube channel and like the video. Or give the podcast a follow on your favorite podcatcher app. Steven and I would greatly appreciate it. And next week, I plan to talk with somebody that's really cool. And I can't say who it is right now because he didn't want me to say because he didn't know if he would be able to return from vacation. But trust me, you will want to listen to this podcaster. And if you want it to, you can join us next week, which will be Tuesday, September 6th, 2022 at 8 p.m. on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, you can join me over in our conversation on the Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both myself and the Better Podcasting co-host, Mr. Steven, there every day. We'll see you guys later.